welcome to the Music Therapy Research Podcast number 17. This episode is with Dr. Varvara Passiali from Queen's University of Charlotte. And uh, we talk a little bit with her about uh, a couple of her research projects and her focus, including early intervention, prevention, resilience, and parent-child attachment and reciprocity. She's published in the Journal of Music Therapy, the Nordic Journal of Music Therapy, and Music Therapy Perspectives, and presents at conferences all over the United States. She completed her doctorate in music therapy at Michigan State University and did her master's at the University of Kansas. She has extensive clinical experience with families and children with neurodevelopmental disabilities and children with behavioral or emotional needs. Currently, like I mentioned, she teaches and researches in the Department of Music Theater and Dance at Queen's University of Charlotte, Please enjoy this research podcast with Dr. Paziali, myself, and Blythe Legassi. Very pleased to welcome to the Music Therapy Research Podcast today. Dr. Varvara Paziali, and would you speak a little bit about uh, your pathway to becoming interested in music therapy research in particular? Sure. I became interested in uh, music therapy research when I was doing my master's at the University of Kansas because I could see the power of music and how it affected different individuals that I have worked with but I wanted to understand a little bit more about the mechanisms and the pathways of why that change was occurring and in what ways. I was also motivated by really being able to explain in more scientific terms of this is how it works and this is the data I see, this is the information I see and that led me into developing my first uh, research questions. Can you tell us a little bit about your current research interests? I am interested in uh, family-based uh, music therapy. Uh, a lot of it involves bringing in the family into clinical sessions and working with the client and uh, the family members as a coherent unit in addressing communication, empathy, in interdependence, connectedness. And I've done that a lot with uh, families that have younger children, particularly families at risk. So that's the one area that I've been focusing on with my research. And the other area that I've been pursuing is working with uh, children that have uh, developmental disabilities, and also children that are well, but are in stressful situations. So I just finished um, a research project working on social skills with children in an after-school program in a disadvantaged area, and also has been involved in some research with uh, children that have neurodevelopmental delays as well. 
And I'm wondering if you would uh, help us get a sense of uh, how you connected what you found when you were at KU in terms of research to what you're doing now. Are you doing pretty much, have you always had those uh, particular research interests or did something change in your experiences at KU and then after when you were um, sort of a, a new doctorate uh, out in the uh, research world? The pathway has changed a lot. I've always been interested in working with uh, younger children and families and uh, school-age populations in particular. So when I was at KU, I got interested in autism and did home-based research where I would go in the home and find a behavior that the parents found challenging. And then we worked on developing a protocol for addressing that behavior. But when I graduated, I ended up, uh, one of my first jobs was at a community mental health agency working with families. Uh, again, it was either families that had children with developmental delays or well families that were at risk. Uh, so through my interaction with those families, I started thinking, how do we as music therapists best support those families? And how can we document with research the outcomes we see when we engage the families in that um, music therapy clinical process? So my research questions shifted because of my clinical uh, contacts that I had. So I've, I always have found myself focusing on what I want to research based on the clinical work I was doing. And then subsequently, I ended up uh, working at a residential facility for children that had severe socio-emotional uh, disorders, uh, behavioral disorders. And those were children, school age and te uh, early teens that experienced uh, abuse and neglect at home. So I got to see both sides of the, the coin if... Uh, we can uh, say it in that way. I saw what it means to intervene early on in life and support that family through music, as well as what it means to get a child that has experienced five, six, ten years of abuse and neglect in a very stressful family environment, and you get them into a residential facility and how you can support them through music therapy. Um, and that's how I got interested a little bit in more the socio-emotional aspects of music and meaningfulness and connected, connectedness with others and how you achieve that at the family level and as well as the individual level with the, with the children I worked with. That's really interesting to hear how your experiences have shaped your research. I imagine with family-based research, there are a lot of components you're considering between the family, the child, the parent-child interaction and relationship. What type of methodologies are you using to try and determine how music is interacting with all of those other variables? That is a very interesting question, and I'm glad you brought it up, Blythe. Uh, I want to, in my, in my journey as a researcher, I think I started from where many young researchers or beginning researchers are starting where I started with the methodology. And when we talk about methodology, it's basically a way of devising a strategy or a plan of action for collecting data. Um, whether that 
is a questionnaire, whether it is an experimental kind of situation where I'm going to do a music therapy session or a series of sessions and collect data before, after, or between sessions or during sessions. So I think a lot of us begin with, there's all these ways I can get information because uh, research is all about knowledge and information. Uh, and we forget that there's certain um, other other stuff that play into the whole picture of why we do research. So in the more recent years, I started examining more my epistemology, and that is how do I know what I know about family-based music therapy? Um, and then my theoretical perspective and interpretive framework because you cannot start using a specific methodology unless you really understand where you're coming from. Um, what kind of knowledge do you believe you'll be attaining by conducting a specific research study? Uh, what characteristics do you think the knowledge that you're trying to gain, again, about family-based music therapy, what characteristics are you looking for to find? As well as um, how are you going to go about getting that knowledge? So uh, it's taking a step back uh, to really examine those situations and developing my, my research agenda. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about how you got into um, a, a little bit of a more recent study. This is uh, Journal Music Therapy in 2012, and we'll have a citation on the blog. And it's about supporting parent-child interactions. And uh, would you please talk a little bit about how that study idea came about and what you learned from it? I began thinking of researching parent-child interactions when I was uh, completing my doctorate at uh, Michigan State. And that came about from being exposed to different uh, epistemologies and really questioning positivism versus constructionism. So the idea of uh, positivism is that we have to maintain a value-free neutrality, like the human interests, the human values. Uh, they, they have a lot of fallibility and that should not play a role with, uh, in science. And that the science that I was conducting was going to be more of a uh, mathematized uh, world of numbers and data to really shifting into more of a constructive way of uh, viewing and asking my, my research questions. In, in other words, uh, is there a certain, a certain spin of what happens when you involve family in therapies. How, how do families interpret what you do? Uh, how, do how do I, as a researcher, arrive into certain conclusions from my perspective, while at the same time taking into consideration the perspective and the needs of the family? So I was experiencing a little bit of a philosophical shift on how I was going to approach that uh, research question. And I decided that I was going to look into more than meaningful reality of what happens during a music therapy session when you as a therapist work with a family and you're trying to reestablish 
those connections that are broken or damaged between the family members. And I, in particular, in that research study, I have worked with four families and they were all um, experiencing multiple risks to healthy uh, relationships. Uh, one family, they had experienced uh, physical abuse, extensive physical abuse, and had to leave the parent, the father. Another family, the, the dad was uh, arrested because of drug use and, and trying to choke hold the mom. Um, the other family, they were dealing with um, major depression on the mom and she was uh, currently pregnant and, and low income. Uh, and then the other family, they had, there was a significant rift between the mother and the child and a lot of stressors going on that were affecting their ability to communicate effectively. So there were four different families, four different perspectives, and it was very, very difficult to come up with, um, if we're gonna talk about methods, with a method to address all those needs that would be ritualistic, that would be very predictable. There was no predictability in what those families needed and how day to day when I met with them, the sessions will go. So I started with that epistemology of, I want to see what their reality is and what their needs are, to really looking into an interpretive framework of the research design I was gonna use. And I was coming from my personal assumption of family, can, um, that music therapy, the, the music can be the cohesive factor in uh, rebuilding those relationships in uh, the families. And um, so that was a personal assumption and a bias, but I wanted to really follow a deductive process of getting my data by uh, analyzing the sessions that I was doing with those families. So from I developed the methodology of using a modified uh, grounded theory from developed by Charmaz, which is um, a construction, constructionist uh, researcher, mm -hmm. uh, into really studying those interactions and what was happening during the session. So from my shift into more constructionism and making meaning out of what was happening in the sessions. So that was my fundamental epistemology. I went into the theoretical perspective of con, uh, constructionism. Uh, and from there, I went into the grounded theory as my methodology into how I was gonna collect uh, the data for that study. And the data method I used was to record each music therapy session and then do an analysis moment by moment to find what was going on in therapy. And as well as finding at what moments during the session was I was seeing um, positive interactions. There is, um, uh, a theory that was developed by uh, a researcher called Kochanska, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, which is a developmental psychologist. 
and it looks into certain aspects of what happens when a parent and a child are mutually responsive with each other. So when there's certain elements in that relationship that are bidirectionally affecting each other in mutually positive ways, whether that is harmonious communication, finding joy together, uh, when they're about to butt heads, somebody will step down. So there's a whole series. There's a whole series of uh, those behaviors, and so I was looking into. Do I, as a therapist, going into the family setting, do I affect that family in a way that is developing back those relationships? So that's the whole process of how I went from a shift into my epistemology to my theoretical perspective to selecting a methodology and then really looking into how I was going to get uh, my, my data. Thanks for being uh, so thorough and going through that process. I, I have just a quick follow-up on that, too, and maybe you can help um, our audience and me uh, with um, understanding what you mean by an archetypal model that guides clinical treatment planning. Can you, can you define a little bit about what you mean by how the results of the study can serve as this archetypal model? Again, that particular study is not based in positivism. It doesn't provide an absolute truth. Um, it's, I wasn't looking for facts during my observations. Um, it wasn't about so much what I could see or what I could hear or how many behaviors I was going to count, but it was more of um, interpreting what I was seeing in the session and um, presenting my conclusions from a more of a clinical perspective. In, in other words, as a therapist, this is how the family interacted with me. This is what it meant for that family. And these are the benefits that the family was deriving by participating with me in that process of making music together, um, singing together, playing instruments together. So the value of it is not really finding a scientific truth or a scientific fact, mm -hmm. but it was a whole documentation of the process of how do families find themselves in a new environment of a therapist, because as a therapist, you come from a position of authority. How do you level yourself into that family's shoes and into their situation, and you really adapt what you do to really help them find those connections and those interactions? So I guess the, the benefit that other clinicians may see will be uh, to derive some of the techniques that I have used, uh, really look at some of the behaviors and compare what may happen when they find themselves in a similar clinical situation, as well as really understand what type of uh, clinical techniques really will support positive interactions that strengthen uh, family relationships and bonds. So I'm curious, uh, with all the research that you are doing and have done, do you go about this alone or do you have research mentors or people that you talk to to formulate your ideas and to kind of flesh them out before you launch into a project? This is really interesting because I've been, I've been immersed in what we call both 
kind of approaches, the quantitative approach and qualitative approach, and I've done both type of research. But um, I guess I always start from the perspective of what type of theoretical framework is going to support me in finding the answers I'm seeking. So depending on that, I've consulted with um, co-workers that I feel will be flexible enough and really understand that we're just not using a method for collecting data, that we're uh, doing a research study for finding some answers. And whether we interpret those answers from a positive spin or a constructive spin, it will really affect the kind of uh, questions we're asking. So I've uh, collaborated with um, Dr. Lagasse, that would be you. did a research study because I really wanted to see um, whether specific music therapy interventions will affect attentional skills. So this was a very specific fact that I was looking at. So following an experimental design and really having a more positivism spin on how I was looking at my data was appropriate for the research question. In a similar manner, the, the, the data in a study that I just finished conducting, I collaborated with an experimental um, psychologist to really look into social behaviors and social skills. Um, so yes, when I find colleagues that are in related fields that have similar interests with me, and also uh, are kind of what I would call gatekeepers. Sometimes certain individuals have access to different facilities or different populations that many want to work with. So that collaboration really becomes a springboard for accessing clinical populations that I may, as a university professor, not directly currently have access to. Yeah, we're, yeah it's really interesting, especially for... For when we have uh, people who are, you know, new researchers or people who just want to start diving into research, or even our graduate students, when they're looking at how do I even jump into this in the first place, and who do I talk to, and and so I think it's interesting sometimes for us to hear um, who are who are the, you know, we use the word mentors because sometimes it's just motivators, like you said, gatekeepers, and sometimes those people are academic and uh, academic or clinical. So I think that's uh, that was a really interesting uh, answer to that particular question. I've used a couple of your studies in the past to to show off some different methodologies uh, and some different populations. You know, when we're talking about teaching in class, and I'm wondering if there's any other uh, publications that you'd like to highlight uh, or discuss, things that you think are of particular interest, or even things that are that are um, newly out or projects that you are currently working on? Um, there is a book that I read that I found is significantly helped me understand some of my philosophical perspectives in developing research. And it's a heavy read, uh, so it's not the type of book that you'll pick up and <laughs> be able to skim through. It will be the type of book where you read one, two paragraphs and then you uh, pose and think about it. But it was very beneficial for me. I um, don't know, get the title for you. 
Good. And then we'll make sure we have a we'll make sure we get a link up on the uh, uh, website to it as well for people that might want to also read a paragraph or two at a time, and then yes. think about it. It's called the Foundations of Social Research, and it was written by Michael uh, Grody, and it's published by Sage. And it's where I really started understanding this idea of I don't start with the methods. It's not, I don't start with I want to do a questionnaire or I want to use this um, psychometric tool as pre and post to measure what I'm doing. Um, research, a lot of beginner, beginners in research will start from a specific point of the method of, the method of collecting data. But that's not where we need to start. We need to start from our values and what inspires us. And um, really, really start with the understanding of how we know what we know and what do we know to know more about what we know. And, and that is the hardest thing to do as a beginning uh, researcher because we tend to get excited about a specific method or a specific methodology and really, really not understand what am I going to be researching about and what is the best approach to get the answers that I want to find. I think it's also one of these cases where, um, and I'm, I'm not exactly sure, I don't remember if you actually said that you use this, uh, you said you, you're reading it and I don't know um, what you might use uh, when you're actually teaching research to undergraduates or graduates even. Um, but I, I also think it's interesting um, that I think most new researchers, because they're usually also newer clinicians, they also usually, when you do ask, get to the root of their first question, their question is usually um, more of a how or a why question. And it usually uh, leads them to a different methodology than, like you said, if they've got one in their mind where they want to just do a survey or questionnaire or something like that. Uh, have you found that as well, uh, especially with students and, and new researchers that that they usually lead that usually leads them down more of a um, uh, down a uh, like you said a constructivist mindset rather than a positivist mindset or or am I leading the witness in this particular question? I think it depends on how you teach research methods, and I think. A lot of times the, the way research methods are taught is we don't really start from the beginning of understanding epistemology. Um, and uh, we start from the methods and sometimes we even meet, limit the methods we teach to just experimental. And uh, there is a, a time and a place and experimental methods are great, but you got to understand Again, going back to your epistemology and what do you want to know uh, and, and and start from there rather than this is the method I'm going to use. Uh, and um, with uh, the students I've uh, been teaching, that's where I typically start from. I will start, what do you want to know? What inspires you? And, and then go through that process of what answers are you seeking? And I've advised students to use experimental designs. I advise students to use um, case study designs. But I mean, even with case studies designs, 
the the one study that I've done when I was finishing my master's and was publishing perspectives, uh, it follows. So that's the one with the home based music therapy with uh, children that have uh, autism. Mm-hmm. That is more of a positivism approach to um, to research because there was a specific protocol and I was doing the same protocol and I was looking for a specific behavioral outcome. So it was rooted in facts and observations. It was, does this happen or does it not happen? Are the numbers, what do the numbers show? And and that was exactly the best research methodology that fitted that research question that I was asking. Um, so it's very, very important to really uh, understand what knowledge you're trying to seek and how you want to interpret that knowledge before you even attempt to use a specific method. So that's what I start with my students. But uh, fundamentally, I go back and say, what inspires you? What is something in your clinical practice that you notice that you want more answers? And then once they say something, so, for example, if they tell me attention, I want to more, know more about attention, I will tell them, well, go read what others have done. Go read what is uh, what is done within music therapy, with that specific area you want to research, and read a little bit outside music therapy. Find out what the trends are before you even start thinking about, I'm going to do a questionnaire or I'm going to use a pre- and post-design. So it's really important to, to see the big picture before you start getting into the nitty-gritty of how I'm going to go about, what, what is my plan of action for uh, getting answers to this research question. Thank you for talking us through uh, how you think about that and how you teach research methods. Do you have any other advice for new researchers? Particularly for clinicians, it's very difficult to have the time to... Uh, go through the steps of constructing a research project. So I would like to encourage them to really start connecting with local universities because there are a lot of um, educators that would love an opportunity to collaborate. There is the the city program of uh, institutional collaborative research and I will send you I will send you the link for that one too where uh, where non-affiliated non-university affiliated clinicians can complete training about conducting research yeah the ethics training and all that the what sorry the the, uh, ethics training that sort of thing Yes. Right. So they can complete that training without being affiliated with a university and then being able to collaborate with uh, somebody teaching at the university who will mentor them through that process. And I, and I really, I really want to see that happening more in our profession in general where uh, educators mentor more uh, clinicians and clinicians reach out more to educators saying, this is my passion, this is what I'm observing, um, what can we do about it? Uh, what, 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 how can we document it and what kind of answers can we seek and conduct more research that way? But we're not there yet in our profession. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks very much for the, uh, not just the advice to new researchers that we just mentioned, but also for the time today and um, for, your, uh, for your insights into research. Thanks very much.
This has been the Music Therapy Research Podcast associated with musictherapyresearchblog.com. Your hosts are Dr. Blythe Lagasse and Dr. Andrew Knight, music therapy faculty members at Colorado State University. Follow MTRB on Facebook and your hosts on Twitter to stay up on all the music therapy research we send out into the world. If you enjoyed the podcast, please let us know by heading to iTunes and submitting a review and a rating. It only takes a minute and helps our visibility on the iTunes page tremendously. Thanks in advance. Also, send in a comment about the podcast on the contact page at musictherapyresearchblog.com. Music